Hello, this is Dr. Gina Cleo, and today we'll be mapping dietary habit change on the 15-minute matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series, where we're going to dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. The 15-Minute Matrix is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons which highlight the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition, and that's the functional matrix. The functional nutrition matrix reminds us of three very important factors in our clinical care. Everything is connected, we are all unique, and all things matter. Be sure to head over to this episode's show notes at 15minutematrix.com if you'd like to see today's topic mapped on a downloadable matrix to remind you of these critical aspects of care. Today on the 15 Minute Matrix, I'll be speaking with Dr. Gina Cleo. Gina is one of the world's leading experts in habits and is passionate about translating scientific evidence into simple, actionable strategies to help improve health, wellness, mindset, lifestyle, and business-related habits long-term. Gina has a PhD in habit change, is an assistant professor at Bond University, and an accredited dietitian. When she's not geeking out on new habit research, Gina is running courses through her Habit Change Institute and obsessing over chai lattes. And honestly, who can blame her? Dr. Gina, welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. Thank you so much, Andrea. It's great to be here. I love that you're a habit scientist and a dietitian. We need more of you in the world for sure. Can you begin by talking into the science of habit change? What's the latest research tell us about shifting habits? Yeah, of course. You know, the thing about habits is they're so different to our behaviors and we've often really focused on behavior change. But the biggest difference with habits is that our habits are always triggered by something else. And this is a really key point when we're looking at habit science and understanding why we have habits and why does that sometimes say really hard to break. So when I talk about triggers, if you think of when you sit in a car and you put on your seatbelt automatically, putting on your seatbelt's the habit, but sitting in the car, that's the trigger that made you have that urge to put on your seatbelt. And it's the same with our eating habits and our drinking habits. It's often our trigger in our environment that is prompting us to behave a certain way with our habits. What are some of those habits that we have that are most triggering when it comes to the way we eat or the way we drink? I'm imagining like family situations or social gatherings. Is that what you mean by those triggers? Yeah. So there's five key triggers and they are the time of day, the place that you're in, 
the preceding action. So what you've just done before, and then as you just said, your social situation and then your emotional state. So I know, for example, that when the more people I'm around, the more likely I am to eat food because it's part of my culture, but also, you know, food is such an important part of our social makeup. But also emotions, when we think of like non-hungry eating, it's often around negative emotions or even positive emotions, things like loneliness, boredom, but also excitement or anxiety and all sorts of sort of heightened emotions. The time of day is a really important one too. I often will come across people that will eat at certain times, for example, 12 p.m. triggering the habit to eat lunch, even if we're not necessarily hungry. And then the place that we're in. I know that when I go into the office, the first thing I do is make a cup of tea. I don't necessarily feel like a cup of tea or need a cup of tea, but I associate entering the office with making a cup of tea. And then finally, the preceding action. So what you've done just before, and that might be, you know, like after a gym workout, you might have breakfast or after, I don't know, like after a meeting, you might go back to your office and have a cookie or something like that. It's always like what you've done just before it. Yeah. I remember back in the days before I was a functional medicine nutritionist and I worked in an office and in that kind of witching hour, mid-afternoon, somewhere between lunch and leaving the office, the thing to do would be to go take a walk to a bakery and get a coffee and a cookie. That was just what we all did. (laughs) Absolutely. And it's part of that, you know, it's a social thing that you did with colleagues in the office. So you've got multiple triggers there. It's the time and it's the location. It's also the social setting that you're around. Yeah. It makes me think about how we help our clients and patients kind of bring all that to recognition and see what's happening and find the ways I like to say of opting in. Like, how can you take that walk and have your thermos with you? So if you're sitting outside for 10 minutes to get out of the, like, what are the things you recommend there so that we can first of all, bring it to awareness and second of all, opt in for the social part, but not necessarily the habit of eating or drinking something part. Yeah. I think the key word that you've just used there is bringing into the awareness and it's all about mindfulness. You know, our habits happen subconsciously. They're automatic. We're we're not actually mindful when we're doing our habits. Oftentimes people are halfway through, you know, eating a cookie and then they're like, oh, I didn't even realize I was doing that. How did I even get this in my hand? And you might've had the same experience when you drive somewhere and you think, how did I get here? I don't even recall turning my car on and driving to the spot. And that's exactly the same with our habits. So we want to bring mindfulness into them. And the way we do that is through a habit diary. We start to write down by bringing awareness into our day, the things that we seem to do day in, day out. And then we ask these questions like, what time of day is it? Where am I? Who am I with? How am I feeling? What have I just done? And once we start to identify the triggers that are triggering those habits that we do or don't want to necessarily be doing, that's when we can really be empowered to take control of those habits. Because we don't want to focus on the habit you want to change. You want to focus on the trigger. And once you understand the trigger, then you can you know, create a different habit in response to being triggered at that time. 
Mm, I really love that. It kind of brings me to the left side of the matrix, thinking about the antecedents, the triggers, and the mediators, with the antecedents being those preceding occurrences, and then really looking at what are the triggers, and then what do we do to reshape it, that coming into the habit diary, some sort of tracking that helps us bring it to the awareness. And Dr. Gina, I'm also thinking about positive habits, just the things that we might do without thinking that we can anchor for ourselves and sort of stack on top of whether it's brushing our teeth or drinking a glass of water. There might be things we do that are beneficial that are just things we don't think about that we do at a certain time of day that benefit us. Yeah, absolutely. And those are really great to also be mindful of because we know that those triggers are working for us. So I often will tell people that want to eat more fruit, for example, is to attach it to something else and stack it. So you might say, when I have breakfast, I'm going to eat a piece of fruit. Or when it hits 3 p.m., I'm going to have a piece of fruit. And that's how we create habits. And that's how we, yeah, develop new habits with our clients is we work it backwards. So we look at the habit that we want to create And then we find a trigger to attach that habit to. And that way, we're not depending on our self-control, our willpower or memory. We are depending on our environment to trigger those habits because our environment is very much what shapes a lot of our behaviors. Mm, That's so well said. And I'm just thinking about, you know, having worked with people over the years too who have sugar cravings and looking at the fact that it's not necessarily willpower. There could be some physiological dysfunction or imbalance in the body. And if we can bring that to awareness when it's happening, why it's happening, we can really address it more comprehensively, more holistically, rather than just blame. Exactly. That's so true. And it's funny you say that as well, the word blame, because I remember thinking as a dietitian, I have no willpower. And I used to think, Gina, why are you such a failure? You just, why does this packet of cookies defeat you? You are a strong, independent, confident woman, but you are just dismantled when there is sugar in the house. And I realized that it wasn't that I was a failure at all. It wasn't about my willpower. It was that I was using all the wrong tools is I was just acting out of my habits. And it wasn't until I realized that all I needed to do was change my environment that those unwanted habits would change. And that brought in a lot of self-compassion and self-kindness and a lot more confidence Because, yeah, I realized basically that I was creating an environment that was self-sabotaging. Yeah, and I think we're often asking too much of ourselves, for one, and then too much of our clients and patients. We're asking them to make change before they necessarily have the skills to be able to make that change. And what you're talking about helps to build the muscle, so to speak, to enable people to make those changes. Yeah, completely. I say that it's using our brain power rather than our willpower. When we think of how powerful and how strong the habits are that we already have, when you think of something you've been doing for a really long time, and that's something that you do automatically, you don't need willpower for it. I don't need to remind myself to brush my teeth every morning. It's something that I do automatically. And if we can think of our 
habits that, that they are our habits. And if we can think of the fact that our clients can eat well, drink more water, exercise, have great sleep automatically, and that be just as strong as brushing their teeth in the morning without thinking about it, that's essentially where we can get to. And it's extremely empowering once we really harness the power of habit because your brain does a lot of the heavy lifting. Yeah. So again, well said. I'm curious, Dr. Gina, is there a history of when we started talking about habit change? Because it seems like as I listen to you, it's both a necessity, but it's also a bit of a luxury to be able to analyze and think about our habits. <laughs> yes, it's so interesting. When I started my PhD, which was in 2014 in habits, I was mind blown to see that habits had only been researched for about a decade, only about 10 years. Considering habits dictate 45 to 85% of our everyday behavior, thought, emotion. It blows my mind that we haven't done more research and had the conversation more. There's certainly a lot more research into habits now, which as a habit scientist, I'm extremely grateful for, but it certainly is a fairly new conversation. And I think it's because we often use the word behavior and habit interchangeably when they are very different things. And as we have I guess, appreciated the nuances of those two different things, we've really started to focus on habits as an individual and unique topic. Yeah, it does seem like that distinction helps bring us out of that blame game and into that place of awareness. Like, oh, this is just a habit. It's something I can change or I can shift as I choose to or as it relates to my goals as opposed to it's something I'm doing wrong. Yes, exactly. It's going, what is it in my environment that's triggered me to want to do this? And how can I change that environment? You know, as soon as we're triggered, our brain is firing the neural pathways to move us towards that behavior. It's called a cue response association. When we think of the cues, the trigger, and the response is the habit. So the cue would be morning and the response is brushing my teeth. That cue response association happens in milliseconds. And as soon as our brain comes in contact with the trigger, the response starts to fire automatically. And our brain thinks it's doing what it's supposed to do. So it's really hard to change the response once we're already triggered. And that's why looking at the triggers is really important. Mm, I, I really appreciate that. And it makes me think about how we bring it to awareness for folks. We help them see again, like what is working? Where do you have habits that are supportive of your goals and what you're trying to achieve as opposed to always focusing on the negative. I mean, one thing I'm always trying to tell people when I'm looking at their labs with them or looking at any part of their health history with them is like, let's just anchor on the fact that there's more functioning than is not, right? You are incredibly resilient. And we tend to focus on even my mom, like there's one little marker that comes in. She's 83 years old. I'm like, okay, whoa, look at all that's working here <laughs> instead of what's not working. <laughs> we can be such perfectionists. We really are our own worst enemies sometimes. 
<laughs> yes, it's true. I'm trained by the best of them. She is the perfectionist. Oh, okay. I'm wondering in your <laughs> 83 and still a perfectionist, uh, in your work as a dietitian, but also in your work training other practitioners around habit change and how to bring that into their practice, what do you find are the biggest obstacles around dietary habit change? Oh, I would say some of the biggest obstacles is time. And when I say time, I think of the really busy mum that is sort of struggling to balance because the busier and the more stressed we are, the more we tend to fall back on our habits. A lot of the dietitians I've trained, that's one of the things we really focus on is those micro habits, taking baby steps because research shows that it not only creates more sustainable change, but much easier to actually start the change. But some of the biggest obstacles is actually debunking myths. You know, the all or nothing mentality, the go hard or go home is what's plastered across gyms and influencers and Instagram, but it actually doesn't work long-term. And oftentimes I find a lot of my work is trying to help people unlearn what they've learned by showing them the neuroscience and how actually small sustainable steps is going to achieve long-term benefits. Even though our clients don't want to hear, all I need you to do is drink a little bit more water. You know, they want big changes. They want the meal plan. They want the whole shebang. (laughs) You know, it doesn't work. And it's really about showing them, hey, we've tried this before. Did it work for you? All right. It didn't work for you. Let's look at trying something different and just trust the process. <laughs> That's probably been one of the most challenging things, but certainly the most rewarding once the penny drops. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I can totally see that. And I've experienced that over the last decade or so. People want those big moves and they think they want that dietary plan. They don't really want the dietary plan. They don't want it. They're going to object to it when they get it and not want to follow it. And it's all about you and not about them. Whereas when we look at our habits, it's actually about our own self-health care. Yes. Exactly. And once you understand the theory of habit, you can apply it to any area of your life. And that's what makes it so powerful and so beneficial. If we were to say you could stand on top of the rooftops as a habit scientist and a dietitian and shout from the rooftops what you wish we could all know or you could debunk around dietary habit change, what would that be? Oh, this is like a wish list. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I'm going to hopefully wave a magic wand right now. Oh, amazing. Um, Oh, there are so many things. I think the first thing that comes to mind is self-compassion. It really is because we know that people who practice self-compassion when it comes to that dietary change have much better outcomes long-term. When you've had, say, I'm going to use the word bad in inverted commas, when you've had a bad day or a bad meal, it's really about picking yourself up right there and then and not waiting for Monday, not waiting for next week, not waiting for the new year, but to have that self-compassion and just to pick yourself up, to appreciate that there are things in life that are not always in your control. Your brain is sometimes working against you because of your environment And you learn from that experience and you can just pick yourself up and keep going. 
Beautiful. Dr. Gina, thank you for the work you do and for sharing your wisdom with us today. Thank you so much, Andrea. I've had such a lovely time speaking with you. The 15-Minute Matrix is hosted and produced by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The podcast is edited and mixed by Brian Paik of Pacific Audio, and special thanks to Natalie Merrill, Alia Hale, Pamela Geismar, and Rowan Bradley for their support in making the 15-Minute Matrix possible. You can find episodes on all kinds of topics with more incredible guests at our podcast website, 15minutematrix.com, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to see the completed functional nutrition matrix that accompanies today's or any episode, be sure to head over to the podcast website. Again, that's 15minutematrix.com. We love when you share our episodes with your friends and colleagues, leave a review and rate the show. That helps us to grow our collective message that functional nutrition is the future of healthcare. Also, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Functional Nutrition Alliance, and you can follow me at Andrea Nakayama. And if you or someone you know is interested in becoming a functional nutrition counselor, head over to fxnutrition.com to learn more about our Full Body Systems program. Full Body Systems is our 10-month immersion course where you'll learn the systems-based approach to addressing the root causes of your clients' issues through client education, diet, and lifestyle modification. Again, you can always learn more at fxnutrition.com.